Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Everybody doing great this morning? Yeah, it's too early to tell, right? Hey, when you hear Brad preach, you're going to be doing fabulous, right? We're here for the Word of God and here to learn from God what He has for us. And so it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Um, my name is Pastor Tim. I'm the executive pastor here. So if you have any questions or anything you need from the church, uh, we want to serve you. We want to serve the community. We want to serve the body. So I'm Pastor Tim. So find me. I will help you get connected to who you need to get connected to. I'll help you find a life group. I'll help you get plugged in to serve. Whatever you need, I'm here to help you uh, get what you need from the church. So we're glad to have you here with us. Just a couple reminders. Uh, all the announcements we try to make, all the things we have updates on, go to our website. If you see on the table over here, the table we have a QR code. We have our website, impactforest.org. Uh, so if you want to get plugged in more, best way to do that is get the information from our website. We do a great job of keeping that up to date. So we have all the uh, life groups, ways to serve, all that's uh, put on our website. A couple things just to remember. Celebrate Recovery meets tonight, every Sunday night, 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And then youth meet at 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Jeremy over here in the back corner. So don't forget, get plugged into life groups, get plugged into Celebrate Recovery. Teenagers, get plugged in with uh, youth group. It's always a great time. Uh, save the date. Remember, Trunk or Treat is October 29th. So October 29th, Trunk or Treat. We've already got the contract to meet here at JF, meet in the uh, side parking lot right here like we did last year. So October 29th, we'll get with you on details of how to, you sign up a trunk, you decorate your trunk, and we'll help make sure you get plenty of candy. And we're getting lots of candy this year, so we're not going to run out this year. And so if you, want, if you don't want to do a trunk, but you want to be a part of it, you can bring candy. So just buy candy from Sam's Club or Walmart, Kroger, and then bring candy and help those who are going to do a trunk. They have candy, so we partner together to do that as a, as a church family. One important notice, uh, we normally, you know, you do a fabulous job. When we end service, you guys go into work mode, and you get the chairs in place, get the tables in place, and we are appreciative of that. One thing, I, Christy, want to make sure I let you know is tonight, I mean today, do not unplug anything because the tech team has got to do a couple of things after church. So if you normally unplug and start pulling the cords up, today, today only, don't pull any cords up. Don't unplug anything because they got to do some uh, tech team research, fixing stuff after church. So leave all, everything plugged in, but still do what you do. Matter of fact, I'm going to get Rick to come up. He's going to give you more details about setup, and teardown, and about FCA. Thank you, Tim. So uh, speaking of teardown, so the I teach here at JF, and so the janitor every week lets me know how things are going with the setup, so they have adjusted um, the setup of the tables and they, they have kind of moved everything around a little bit. So myself and Darren Johnston um, are gonna be setting the tables. What I need for you to do is when the service is over, obviously stack all the chairs so we can maneuver the tables into position. And then once the tables, we're gonna start on this end here and work the tables this way um, both sections, the open section here and that back section. Once the tables are in place, then we need the chairs replaced on the tables for the cafeteria setup. So that's kind of the system we'll use to make sure that we're putting the tables in the cafeteria back the way that Jefferson Forest High School wants them in place for, for the kids when they come in. 
Uh, so with that, thank you again for everybody, those who help with the setup. Uh, we appreciate that. So uh, let's talk about ministry of FCA. We, we have been, as a church, partnering with FCA because that opens the door for us to do ministry with Jefferson Forest High School. And so every Wednesday, we have been doing a football team meal, which is, which is open. It's an invitation. If you want to stay, you can. You don't have to, um, obviously. And so the good news is every Wednesday, we have had great turnout. I mean, over half of the team, varsity and JV, we've had 50-plus um, almost every Wednesday night. And I want to just thank everybody who has contributed to that ministry, not with, not just food, um, but helping, but money, uh, the money we collected uh, to pay for stuff. We, we had a big uh, pork barbecue dinner Wednesday night. We had about 55 students and some coaches there, and we share the word. that Just keep praying for Wednesday night for the players because we are planting seeds. There's a lot of kids staying, and uh, so we are sharing God and we keep inviting them. If they're not involved in a church, hey, we got a church that meets in the cafeteria on Sunday, so come. So all of those things have been awesome. I thank you for that. Impact, thanks you for that. And so anytime you can get plugged in, um, we'll be glad to have you help out. So with that, all right, I think I'm good. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, a day to worship you to honor you in your house. Uh, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit to fill this place. Lord, I pray for every heart, every heart, Lord, that uh, they would be in tune with you, that your Holy Spirit would guide them through worship. I pray for the music, the ministry of the songs. I pray for the scripture, the truth. I pray for the words of the message, Lord. May we grow closer to you and be encouraged to live and follow you. Lord, bless this community, uh, bless this church and every ministry that we do in your name. Amen. Amen. So, sorry. So good to see you this morning, uh, Impact Family. So glad to be with you this morning. I'm just so thankful for the faithfulness of our God. And as we sing this song, we just introduced it last week called Trusting God. And uh, we just invite you to worship along with us as we trust our Father for all things that we go through. We love you, Father God. Thank you for being with us this morning. Let's stand together as we sing, would you please?
we'd like to share just a, just a thought about this awesome God that we serve. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And He is trustworthy. No matter what you're facing today, you can know that we serve a God who is trustworthy, who is faithful, who is a good God. And He cares about His children. And so whatever you may be facing, as we just saying, I trust in God. He's a God who never fails. I called on Him and He answered me. And He made a way where there was no way. Let's continue to worship Him.
Jesus 
situation that's represented here today, Father. Lord, as I look up among your people, I see God, that there's things that may be, may be going through, Father, that no one else knows about. But God, we know that you know about it. You know the very numbers of hair on our head. Father, you know every detail about our life. And God, I'm so thankful that you are our Abba Father, that we can come to you and know that you hear Lord, we speak Jesus over every situation today. There is nothing that's impossible for you. As we sang earlier, God, you never fail. You never, ever fail. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And Lord, as we continue to worship through your word, we pray that we'll be changed to be more like you today, Father. We thank you again for loving us, for this opportunity just to be in your, your sweet presence. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. one-time event to become more like Christ. This change from one degree of glory to another, one level of maturity to the next, comes from the Lord. All right, amen. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How is everybody doing? Good. I hope y'all are excited to be in the house of the Lord. Some beautiful fall weather outside, all that fun stuff. Nice and cool in here. That's going to help us out. So uh, that's great. It's great to be uh, at Impact Church this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we say every single week, welcome. 
Uh, We're so glad you're worshiping with us today. And more than that, we hope the Lord would anchor you right here. If you're searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, and a place to really uh, start to, to get uh, to serve and be a part of what God's doing, we hope the Lord will lead you right here. God's doing an amazing work. And we would love for your family, your friends to be a part of what God's doing here at Impact Church. So welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. And that being said, um, we were supposed to have a special speaker today that we have been talking about for a couple weeks, and um, he is sick, and he is sick, sick, and couldn't make it. He was wanting to play the tough card and come up here, and he was going to be hacking and like all week and stuff. I'm like, man, and he's like, I don't think I can make it. He said, I think I need to go to urgent care. <laughs> I'm like, you go ahead, brother. So pray for Zach uh, this morning. He's sick. Get him well. We're going to bring him back up here. Uh, on October 8th to, to preach that message that he was going to bring today. So pray for him. So uh, those of you that came to hear Zach, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, he's, he, he's taller, younger, better looking, more hair than I got, I know, but you got to hear from me again. So, but what we're going to do is this. We're going to go ahead and close up our sermon series today with the message I was going to bring next week. Um, so luckily I had some stuff prepared when he texted me last night at almost nine o'clock and like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach. I'm like, oh. So uh, here we go. So we got something. The Lord's got something for us. So we're going to wrap up the sermon series this week in Barrier Breakers. And then when he comes back on the 8th, that'll kind of be like an encore, right? You know, where like the, the people leave and then you ask and you cheer and then they come back on. That's what that'll happen. All right. So he'll be here on October 8th. So we're going to wrap up Barrier Breakers today. Then next week, we're going to start our new sermon series um, and, and the introduction of it in Esther, all right? And the title of that sermon series will be For Such a Time as This. And it's going to be a powerful one. So um, you want to be here for all of that as we get started. But today, we're going to wrap up our Barrier Breaker series, other than the encore from Zach here in a couple weeks. And the title of today's message is Please Stand. You don't have to stand right now. I'm just saying the title of the message is. Please Stand. And it's Winning the Invisible War. Winning the invisible war, because what we're going to look at today, because we've been talking about overcoming barriers in our life and things that hang us up, that that form walls that we seem like we can't break through. And I'm going to tell you the biggest one and and the one that has a commonality with every single thing we've spoke about for 17, 18 weeks now is an invisible war, that you have a spiritual battle that you're fighting. Whether you believe it or not, you're in a war. There's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your family. There's a battle for your kids. There's a battle to to try to come against what God wants us to do and who he wants us to be. So we're going to look at this um, spiritual battle here today and how we can win this invisible war. If you uh, look at and hear the title, Please Stand, that's probably familiar to us in a lot of ways because a lot of places you go, you're familiar with the command to please stand, all right? If you ever go to a ball game, all right, and they play the national anthem, it's please stand. If you go to a wedding, it's uh, please stand because here comes the bride, right? If you ever go to a courtroom, it's please rise, here comes the judge, right? So we're familiar with this concept and command of please stand. We're also familiar with the opposite of that, which is you please be seated, right? So think about this. The position of standing versus the position of being seated. If I'm seated like you are now, I'm in a position of comfort. It wouldn't be very comfortable as long-winded as I am if I asked you to stand the whole time, would it? 
Now, I mean, I'm going to see it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's a position of comfort. But guys, a commit, uh, the position of standing is a position of commitment. You see, that's why they ask you to stand for the national anthem. That's why they ask you to stand for the bride. It's a position of commitment, of honor, of standing. I'm committed to something. If I'm sitting, then I'm comfortable. I'm relaxed. Guys, I want to tell you today that we're going to see the first thing we have to do to win this invisible war, the spiritual battle of an enemy that's coming against you, is we have to stand. We have to take a position of commitment. You see, far too often in our society and churches today, people want to live out the Christian life in a position of comfort. They want to be comfortable in their Christian walk. We don't want to stand for anything anymore. And we even unfortunately see that from pulpits of America where pastors want to be comfortable in what they preach and want people to be comfortable with what they preach. And they don't want to take a commitment and a stand on God's word and confront the culture. So guys, today we're going to see that the difference in this spiritual battle is first going to be made whether you and I make our first commitment to either sit and be comfortable in our spiritual life and we're going to see if we do that, we're going to get attacked and we're going to get slammed. Or we can commit to stand with the strength of the Lord and then in that position of commitment, God uses us to win the victory that he's already won. Did you know that? So we're not fighting for victory in this. We're fighting from victory because of Jesus. And it's time for us to stand. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I praise you, Father, for who you are. Lord, that you are God, the one and only true God. And you are sovereign. You are mighty. You are holy. Lord, you are full of grace and mercy and love. And Lord, you're also a fair God of, of judgment and righteousness. So, Lord, I pray that you would go before us today, Lord, and move our hearts, Lord, because every single one of us in this place are in a spiritual battle. And, Lord, so many are losing. And, Lord, the victory's already won. So, Lord, let us see your game plan today. Let us get the, the scouting report on our enemy and see what the game plan is and how you've prepared a way for us to gain the victory over this invisible war of an enemy that wants to attack us in our homes, in our hearts, our lives, and destroy us in every way he can. So, Lord, I pray that you would go before us, that every single one of us would walk out of here today, Lord, as victors and not as victims. Lord, because you have the glory, and it's all for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a copy of God's Word with you, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. You can probably guess where we're going to be when we're talking about this subject. Those of you that are familiar with God's word, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 here. And alluding to this um, spiritual warfare, first I want to kind of gain context on where we're at in Ephesians. And if you've paid attention, a lot of this sermon series has brought us into the book of Ephesians. Have you noticed that? Especially those first few chapters of, of our identity, of, of who we are in Christ and, and all that. So we know that that's what Paul has spoken of in the first three chapters of Ephesians is who Christ is, what he's done for us, and who we are in Christ. 
all right? And it's a beautiful picture of that, that, that he has done all the work, that, that who we are in Christ, we're created by God, and we're to be conformed to his image, that salvation is brought through him alone and the finished work of Christ on the cross, and it's by grace through faith that we're saved. It's not through works. And all that beautiful picture of salvation and who Christ is and then through this transforming work that God wants to do in us, there's works after salvation that we're to walk in. Yes, we don't do good works to get saved, but we do good works because we're saved. All right? And that's the truth of the Spirit of God working and moving in us. Okay? And he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. That's what the first part of Ephesians has told us. And then Paul moves into chapter 4 and then gives us this command. Say, hey... Therefore, because of this, because of what Jesus has done, because of who he is and because of who you are in Christ, now walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Oh, boy, that's tough. Because what he says is, is basically God wants to do a transforming work in your life. All right. So we need to live this out. And he'll even say it here in Ephesians, he says, put off the old be clothed with the new. That's sanctification. God wants us to, and we're going to look at this, God wants us to grow up in him. He didn't save you just to, to take a, a ticket to heaven and put it in your pocket and live the rest of your life like you want to live it. That's not why Jesus went to the cross. It's not. Man, he saved you for his glory so other people can see Christ in you. So that this can be like those pyramid schemes where it's not just about you and you keep it to yourself. You tear it and share it with others. And they share it with others. That's what the gospel is about. And God wants to use us like that. So no, it's not just for you. Your salvation. He wants you to be sanctified so that others can see Christ in us. And then he lists out in chapters 4 through uh, six there, what it looks like to live out this life of faith. So he gets to chapter six and he ends all of that with something that seems totally off the wall, spiritual warfare. Think about it. We've talked about Christ and who he is and what he's done and who we are in Christ and how we're supposed to live out. Then he ends with stand strong because you've got an enemy. What does that mean? That means none of this is going to be easy to do. Not a single bit of it. It's impossible to live out the Christian faith on your own. It's impossible. It's not just hard. It's impossible. You need the Spirit of God in you to even have a chance to do that, to even have a chance to overcome your enemy. You can't go one-on-one -on -one with this foe and win. You won't do it. You'll lose every single time. You need Christ in you. And you need to stand, and we're going to see that right here. So basically what we're saying is this spiritual warfare, this battle, whether you believe it or not or whether you're unaware of it, it's still taking place. Just because you're not fighting or resisting against anything doesn't mean the enemy's not fighting or resisting against you. So you can stick your head in the sand all you want, and you can take a position of comfort and stay seated, but you will be defeated. Because the command is to stand, and that's what we're going to see here in Ephesians 6. So everything that Paul's listed out on how we're supposed to live is going to happen, get this, on a battlefield, not on a playground. You see, on a playground, you can take a position of comfort. That's fun. It's chilling. But on a battlefield, you got to take a position of commitment. And what we're going to see is this battlefield we're on is not against who we see. It's not against people. It's against us, an enemy that's behind the scenes pulling levers and pushing buttons to defeat us. 
So let's dig in now that we've got the, the proper concept. Because what we're going to see is everything that, that is seen is preceded by something that's unseen. In other words, this invisible war, the unseen, makes something happen in the seen and in the visible. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read right now verses 10 through 18. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always, somebody say always, man always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. There's a lot in there. And we did a whole sermon series, if you would remember, on spiritual warfare and took about 12 to 14 weeks and went through this passage alone. So to attempt to dig it all out is not going to be possible, but I think God has a word for us in this today, alluding to what we've been going through through barrier breakers, and that's gaining this victory and what does it look like. So first, right off the bat, verse 10. What does he say? Finally, brethren, after all this, what's finally mean? After everything I've said in chapters 1 through 6 here so far, all the book of Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's a cool thing to read and be like, oh, yeah, be strong in the Lord. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? What does that look like? You know, I can be strong in a lot of things. You can be strong in a lot of things. Some of y'all are, are, have strengths in, in singing. I don't. Some of y'all have strengths in, in playing an instrument. Some of y'all have strengths in you can dunk a basketball and you can, you're athletic. Some of you have strengths in, in art and drawing or whatever it is. And you can be strong in a lot of things. But what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? Man, I, the, I was praying over this and looking at this, man, and getting this picture you know, we can, we can be strong in our own strength in a lot of ways. And, and I'm going to kind of relate some of this to a, a, a football analogy again. Like, I can be strong as a football player. I can get in the weight room. And if you want to be a good football player in today's world, you've got to be in the weight room. They're bigger, faster, stronger today. All right? So I can go in the weight room, and I can get really strong. I could be bench pressing and, and squatting the house and deadlifting and cleaning and all that stuff. And I could be physically strong and ready myself. But then if you ever watch the football players, when they get out on the field, watch them big, strong linemen, probably some of the strongest guys on the football field. And when it's fourth and one or fourth and goal at the one-yard line, what do them linemen do when they get down? Them big, strong dudes. You ever see them? They dig their feet. You watch them today. They'll take their feet, and they'll dig their cleats into that turf. Why? Even as strong as they are, they need a solid foundation to apply their strength. 
Guys, that's what being strong in the Lord is. We can be strong in a lot of things. We can know some scripture. We can go to church every Sunday. We can be strong in a lot of great spiritual disciplines that the Lord wants us to have. But if we don't have our solid foundation, our footing in Christ and anchored, we will slip and be defeated on the field. We will. So being strong in the Lord is a position of surrender and commitment. And in, in having the Lord's strength in us, it's not depending on my strength. I'm depending on his strength because I'm anchored in him. Man, that's what, that's what Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave that building seminar. It's like, man, you can build this big, strong, beautiful house. But if you put it on the shifting sand, what's going to happen when the storm comes? It's going to crash. But you take this big, strong, beautiful house and you put it on the rock, the solid rock foundation of Jesus, and it's going to stand in that storm. That's what being strong in the Lord is. It's all about him. It's not about us. Man, that's the beautiful picture. So we know from the start, we've got to be strong in him if we're going to have a chance at this. We've got to be strong in him. Verse 11 says, then we put on this whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the, the wiles of the devil. Did you catch that? We need the full armor of God. It just didn't say some. It didn't just say a couple pieces. The whole armor of God. Why? Because we see that there's a battle ahead. He's going to point to that so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. When you look at the word stand against, you know you're in a battle. If I have to stand against something, that means there's going to be a confrontation. That there's resistance. To, is that, is that, that's blatantly clear. That we have to put on all this armor to even have a chance to stand against an enemy. And why is it important to have all the armor? Go back to football. I mean, is somebody going to walk out on the field today in the NFL and be like, ah, oh, man, I don't think I need them shoulder pads and all that stuff. I'm just going to wear my helmet today. <laughs> no, Why? You're going to get hurt. You're going to, I mean, if you step on the field, I mean, you may be okay on the sideline, and there's a message for you as well. If you're going to stay on the sideline in the Christian faith, you don't have to worry about it. But guess what? You still could get hit. You ain't paying attention, and the ball comes running off the field. Bap! But when you step on the field, you've got to have the armor on. Guys, I want to tell you, God has laid inside of all of us his spirit, and his command is for us all to take the field. Unlike a football game where it's only a little bit at a time, he's commanded us all to be on the field of battle. There is no sideline Christians. There shouldn't be. As a matter of fact, if you're okay being on the sideline, think about it in football again. If you're okay being on the sideline, be like, yo, Brad, coach, man, I, I don't want to get on the field. I got a question really whether you love football or not. If you don't want to be on the field spiritually, I got a question whether you love God or not. We're all commanded to take the field, so we have to have all the armor on. Some's not enough. Very clear right here, because there's a confrontation ahead. So that's our first point. Be strong in the Lord, suit up and stand when we're looking at this. Be strong in the Lord, suit up and stand. Because we get that command to stand there again, that position of commitment. Stand against. The second point is we need to read and study the scouting report because we have an enemy. We need to read and study the scouting report because we have an enemy. Who are we standing against? It tells us right here. The wiles of the devil. If you have a different translation, it's the word schemes. In other words, he's got a plan. He's got some things he does. He's got some plays that he runs against you. 
He's got a scheme, a while, a plan. So we need to know what that is. And that's the beautiful picture because God gives us the scouting report. Man, if you're, a, if you're a player on the team, I remember when I played for JMU, they would give us this big scouting report book each week of who we're getting ready to take up and go against. And that, and that thing was like this big. It was like thick. And it had listed in there um, all their, their stuff, their plays, what they usually do, but it had even listed who they were, each position, what year the guy was, whether he was a, a, a sophomore, a junior, a redshirt junior, whatever they were, how tall they were, how much they weighed. I mean, it had everything except their social security number in there. Why? Because you needed to know who you're going up against. And then it had their backup, how big they were, how strong they were, what year they were. You, you knew everything about your enemy. That's what God wants us to know about our enemy. That's so important right here. We have to know who we're up against so that we know what we need to do and how we're going to win. All right? And then he continues in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. All right. What do we have there? Our enemy, the devil, Satan, talked about so many times in Scripture. And we don't have time to dig it all out, but we know the obvious. So when you look at this word scheme and we know who our enemy is and we go back to some of the places where even Jesus himself referenced him. Let's look at John 10.10. We know that as a scheme, as as a plan, you're going to have a mission and a method. Got that? So if uh, on a team, our mission is to win the conference. Our mission is to win the Super Bowl, whatever. But then we we have methods on how we do that. We have plays. We have formations. We have personnel. You got it? So our enemy has a mission and a method. John 10.10 gives us the enemy's mission, and it's threefold. Jesus said himself, the thief, right? Who's that? That's Satan. He's talking about the devil, this same enemy. Comes to what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his mission. He wants to steal your hopes and dreams. He wants to kill every aspect of hope you have in you. And he wants to destroy your life, your home, your kids, your marriage. That's the mission. It's total devastation of you. But it doesn't stop there. Because that's great to have a a mission, but not have any plans on how you're going to get there. Because the mission is to attack us. Why? Because he cannot defeat God. He already tried and lost. He got kicked out. But make no mistake, he's a powerful foe because when he went... He swiped his tail, Revelations 12 said, and took a third of the angels with him. If he can talk angels out of heaven, he can talk you out of it too. And he wants to destroy you. So the scouting report's given. Here's a mission. But it also gives methods when you look at another verse that we're all familiar with. And we've talked about it a couple times. And we'll look at it again in a little more detail. Because it shows an explanation of how he attacks in his 1 Peter 5.8. And it says this, be sober and vigilant because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking who he may devour. Like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. 
So we get this picture, this very vivid image of the attack. So he's got the mission. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What's his method? He's like the lion. His plays are going to look like that. Are you ready for this? Because here's the problem. You'd be like, oh, man, this is child stuff. This is like Sunday school lesson. No, it's not. Because here's the problem. The enemy keeps running the same plays against God's people and against the church, and he keeps scoring touchdowns because nobody studies the scouting report. And he keeps winning in our homes, and he keeps winning in our churches, and he keeps winning in people's lives. And there's a battle that's raging, and he's winning. So no, this is not child's play lesson. This is necessary for every single one of us before we walk out this place. How does a lion attack? There's three main plays that I come up with from a lion analogy. And we need to know them so that we can get ourselves in the right formation to attack. You see in football, you're on defense, and, and, the, and the other team lines up, and you look like they're going to spread the field and run a pass play, and you're lined up in a defense to stop the run. You better get out of that, or you're going to get burnt. you got to come out of that 4-4 with everybody walked up in the box to stop the run. I know I'm speaking like, like way over somebody's head. And you got to get in a different defensive set. you got to go cover two with two deep safeties. you got to get in a, a nickel or a dime package with more defensive backs, whatever, because you need to stop the pass. So we need to know his place so we can get set in the right formation for victory. This is what God wants us to know. Number one, what are his three methods? We know his mission, steal, kill, destroy. How's he going to make it? Analogy of the lion, vivid picture. Number one, he will always attack in infancy what he does not want to deal with in maturity. He will always attack in infancy what he does not want to deal with in maturity. Why? Because if he allows you, allows the church to grow up in Christ, he's got a more valiant foe to try to defeat. You think about that. That's what the lion does. He wants to look for the young. That's what Satan has done all through the Bible is try to attack in infancy. How about Moses? You remember that? Through Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was worried about, oh, man, the Israelites are getting large numbers, and they're going to override us one day. So what he set out to do? Kill all the infants. Kill all the young boys. Because, hey, the understanders is this dude, maybe, and he didn't know this because he's not omniscient, but, but he knew the concept that some, somehow, some way, that Israel's going to rise against him. And if I can kill Moses when he's little, I don't have to deal with him when he's an adult and, and working within the power and the strength and trust in God and raises that staff over that Red Sea and casts all these plagues on us. So he wants to attack in infancy. He tried to do the same thing with Jesus when he was a baby. You remember that through Herod? Herod gets upset because the wise men didn't come back and tell him where Jesus was. So he sets out the decree to kill them all, right? All the kids, all the firstborn males. Remember that? Why? Because he didn't want to deal with in maturity the mature Christ, the Savior that was going to be king and take his authority. He wanted to get him while he's young. Even Revelation 12 alludes to that uh, about how Satan, the dragon, was there in, in, at the, 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 when the woman was about to give birth. And that was Israel of the male child. That is Jesus. He was waiting there to take it because he wants to attack in infancy what he doesn't have to deal with in maturity. Jesus gave the same kind of description when he told the parable of the soil and the seed. You remember that parable? That there was three types of seed that didn't take the salvation. They would be taken up at the beginning, 
they would come up quickly and then burn out because they couldn't take root. Or they would get choked out by the things of this world. Do you remember that? Get it all in infancy before it grows up to maturity. So it doesn't produce fruit. Satan doesn't want you to be spiritually mature because he doesn't want you to drop the fruit of the Spirit all over the world. So he wants to stop you any way he can. That's why he attacks our kids. (laughs) Teenagers, are you listening right now? He wants to fool you right now into believing that the world has something better for you than Jesus does. He wants to take you out with things that you think are okay, things that you think are innocent and everybody's doing it, but one day it's going to turn into an addiction that controls you and you're no longer in control of yourself. He wants to destroy you with the concept of taking sex out of marriage and that you're missing out if you save it for your wife or your husband one day. And he wants to use that to destroy you. He will attack in infancy what he does not want to deal with in maturity. He wants to get you while you're young. That's why, that's why Paul said, hey, don't, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. You set an example, even for us old cats. You have no excuse. God wants you to grow up spiritually, and that's the problem. Being young spiritually or immature spiritually makes you vulnerable for attack. Being immature spiritually makes you vulnerable for attack. We need to grow up is what that means. Then we're going to do this. It'll be a little fun. Look at the person beside you and tell them to grow up. Grow up. That was cool. All right. But just realize you told somebody to grow up and they told you to grow up too. All right. But we need to grow up. We need to grow up spiritually, guys. We have no excuse to be like, oh, well, I've just, you know. But here's the case. Just because you've um, been a Christian and walked with the Lord for 20 years doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. There's too many people that say, I've walked with the Lord for 40, 50 years, and they are just as spiritually immature as they were the day one. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 alluded to that. He's like, man, he said, I can't talk to you as spiritual people. i got to talk to you as carnal people, babes in Christ. He says, you know, I've been feeding you milk because you're not ready for the, for the good stuff, the good spiritual food. And in fact, he said, you're still not ready because you're still carnal. In other words, worldliness and worldly attitudes and not growing up in Christ makes us incapable of receiving the spiritual food that's going to grow us up. We need to have the Spirit of God in us that changes our heart, changes our mind, and allows us to receive and grow up in Him. Again, it's not about you. It's all about Him and His glory. Every single bit of it. He gets glory for sanctification just as much as justification. It's all about Him. All right? So, immaturity is an invitation for attack. I'll give you an example out there with the lion again. One of the lion's good meals is is a giraffe. And especially a baby giraffe. Because he don't want to wait till that thing gets big and like this head's as tall as this ceiling. He won't get that thing when it's young and tender. But you know what happens with a baby giraffe? Get this, guys. Do you know how long it takes a baby giraffe to run from the time it's born? Less than one hour. And it's running. Guys, there's a spiritual word right there. Why does it have to grow up so quick? Because it does, if it doesn't grow up quick, it may not grow up at all. 
Guys, there's an enemy that wants to attack you in your spiritual infancy. It doesn't want to you to get to spiritual maturity. We don't have to use the excuse, oh, well, it's going to take some time for me to grow up in the Lord. No, it's not. Surrender to Christ. Feed on his word and grow up in him. Man, we, we get so excited when our babies are, are, are walking like, what's the average, like 12 months, 13 months, something like that. And we get so excited. Oh, my baby, 10 months old. He's already walking. He's going to go D1. I know what he is. He's an athlete. <laughs> and we get so excited about that. Man, a baby giraffe is grown up and running in 45 minutes. We need to grow up in Christ. We need to soak in his word. That's where Paul said, hey, don't let nobody look down on you because of your youth. Set an example. You have no right to say it's going to take me 15, 20 years when I'm 30, when I'm 40, when I'm 50, then I'll be spiritually mature. No, be spiritually mature now. Set an example in your school, on your ball team. Set an example for the church, in the community. Grow up in Jesus. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe wholeheartedly that it starts with the shepherds in the pulpit. We got too many pulpit pansies preaching a fluffed out, watered down word of God. And people can't grow up when all they hear is a bunch of fluff. (laughs) Second point of the lion. After the first one, he attacks in infancy what he doesn't want to deal with in maturity. Second, he attacks in isolation what he does not want to deal with in community. He attacks in isolation what he does not want to deal with in community. The lion never attacks the whole herd. What does he do? He looks for the one that's out by itself, the one that's fallen behind, the one that's the, the, the lone straggler. And then how does, the, how does the lion attack? He sneaks up. He doesn't just sprint across the field where the whole herd sees it and goes, whoo, takes off. He sneaks, and that's what he's doing to you. That's what he's doing to your home. That's what he's doing to your kids. That's what he's doing to our churches is he's trying to sneak up and attack. And what happens if the deer's by itself, the gazelle, and it it thinks it saw a brush move or a stick crack or something, it looks up real quick, and the lion just pauses, freezes, doesn't move. And then that gazelle thinks it's okay, puts his head back down to feed, then he starts his, his approach again. Guys, that's what he's doing. But if you're by yourself, get this, get this, get this. Please, please understand this. God wants us to get this. If you're by yourself, you can only see what you can see. But if you're in community, you've got a bunch of other eyes and ears helping you see what you cannot see. That's why you need to be in church. That's why you need to be plugged in. Not just church pew sitting on Sunday. You need to get in life groups. You need to get serving. You need to get connected. God wants you connected. That's God's plan A is the church. There is no plan B. So Satan's primary attack is to keep the people from gathering. I promise you that. We saw it during COVID. Anything I can do to keep the people from gathering, put people in isolation so I can attack them, so I can get to them. We're meant to do life together. Our enemy does not play fair, all right? He wants the lone straggler by itself. Why? Because the whole herd is more dangerous. Y'all saw the Lion King, right? I mean, one wildebeest by itself, eh, yeah, it's no big deal. But a thousand wildebeest, boy, they stomped Mufasa. You know what I'm saying? And I'm still mad at Scar for that. How about (laughs) y'all? But guys, (laughs) the enemy is always going to attack us in isolation. He doesn't want to deal with the herd. 
That's why we need each other. That's why we need community. That's why we need to be a church that doesn't gossip about each other and put down each other. That's why we need to be a a, a church that has a heart of right motives and it's not about us and promoting ourselves and having positions or titles. We need to be part of the body together. I'm going to lock arms with you and you lock arms with me and we're going to go to war together. And shame on us if we don't because somebody's going to get defeated. Somebody's going to get eaten. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. The whole passage talks about two are better than one. Why? You got a better return for your labor. You got to keep one can keep each other warm. When one falls, you got somebody to help the other ones up. That, guys, that's what God wants in the church. And then it ends with the cord of three strands are, are not easily broken. That's you and me together with Jesus. Amen. And we're not going to be pulled apart. Are we there, though? Because I believe today, even our, our, our churches, we're too self-centered. We're too worried about a, a, a consumer mentality when it comes to church. Amen. We are, man. We're worried about, about uh, is, is our songs as cool as the church down the street? Is our worship team as cool or our lights as cool? Do, do we have as many programs as the church on the street? How about we worry about whether we're making disciples through the word of God or not? Amen. Sometimes I wish God would make a rule there's no technology in church, it's just his word. I think that would go a lot better. Then we'll find out who the real preachers are then. But you can't go on one-on-one with this enemy. He'll attack your mind, he'll attack your heart, he'll attack your life, your marriage, your job, your finances, and he'll get it all. This Lone Ranger stuff doesn't work in Christianity. You might somebody say, oh, well, I, I don't need church. All I need is Jesus. You're exactly right. All you do need is Jesus. And part of what Jesus wants you to have is life inside a community and the gathering of the body. So if all you need is Jesus, then you do what Jesus commanded and you get plugged in. You might say, well, I've been hurt there, Brad, too many times. I know Jesus was hurt by the church, too, and he didn't run away from it either. So don't let Satan pull you out into isolation with an excuse that church hurts. Number three, the enemy attacks an injury, what he does not want to deal with in health and vitality. The enemy attacks an injury, what he does not want to deal with in health and vitality. He doesn't play fair. You know, there's some people as fans, you might say, man, when when your team's getting ready to take the field against another team and you hear uh, a couple players, a couple key players on the other team are injured, you'd be like, "Woo, we got a chance today, man. Their quarterback's out or their running back's out or their star point guard's out or whatever the case may be. Guys, that's how the enemy wants. He wants to attack an injury. Go back to the lion. What does he look for? The one that's wounded? The one that's limping? The one that's easy prey? That's what the lion wants. That's what this image is of how Satan's going to attack us. He wants to team up on the one that's injured. So he looks for the one that's wounded. So get this, guys. So if I'm hurt and wounded and weak spiritually, emotionally, relationally, then I need to get healed or I'm going to get attacked. And Satan's going to cause me to bleed on people who didn't even cut me. You need to get healed, whatever it is, or you're vulnerable for the enemy to attack and use you to attack and wound others. You've got to get healed and strong again. 
That means we can't carry old injuries into new battles. We got to get healed up, guys. Yeah, you may have been hurt in the past, but you got to run to Christ. That's why in Psalm 34, 18, the word of God says that he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Man, he wants healing in you. Will you run to Jesus and get healed? He wants to do that because then he can set you up for the battle and you won't get attacked by the enemy. Here's the problem. Those three plays, the enemy keeps running time and time again and scoring touchdowns. He's attacking people in infancy because they won't grow up in Jesus and in their faith. He's attacking people in isolation because church isn't important to people anymore in this world and they can do everything else. He's attacking people inside of injury because we're all wounded in different ways and he wants to use that to destroy us and others. And he has a whole cemetery of Christian casualties that he's destroyed because of immaturity, isolation, and injury. So we need to get rid of all of it. And our fourth point in Ephesians to get ready to close us up is a beautiful picture after Paul goes through all this through verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God now, he says, that you may stand withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There's the words again, stand, and there's an evil day coming. And he says, stand again, stand therefore in verse 14. Having girded, here it is. Here's all the... the armor to put on you ready so here's our fourth point god gives the victory this is stuff god's given us this is nothing that we can gain on ourselves or, or 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 go purchase or or through works get this is god giving stuff right here we're talking about for the victory so god gives the victory he's already won the victory and he gives us the possibility to win the invisible war victory and it's through this armor that he said we all have to put on Starts with, we're girded with the, around our waist with truth. I don't know if you get the picture of that or not. But there's some gear we got to put on. And you think about a belt of truth. What does a belt do? Keeps your pants from falling down. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to fight when your pants around your ankles, right? So we need to belt the truth so, so that we ain't getting caught off guard. Do you have the belt of truth around your waist? Are you secure or are your pants falling down in the day of battle against the enemy? And you have nothing, nothing to fight with because you didn't stand with truth first. Truth combats the lies of the enemy. Truth combats the deception of this age and false doctrine. That's what we need, the belt of truth. This is truth. This is absolute truth. We live in a world today that doesn't believe in absolute truth. They believe in relative truth. And when my truth is not your truth, and no, 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 no. There's absolute truth. You can say there's no absolute truth, but you jump off a building. Gravity is absolute truth. <laughs> there is absolute truth in this world. There's absolute truth morally and spiritually and relationally. And here it is right here. Guys, I'm going to tell you, you take all of this. You'd be like, well, some of those things in there, Brad, I don't know if I believe. You take all of this or none of this. This is not cafeteria-style Christianity where you get to pick and choose what you like in here to walk out your faith. You take it all or you leave it all. Every single word in here is from Jesus. Did you know that? This is his word, not just the red letters. Yeah, it's all him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
You tell me it's not. Now, I know that you can go back to Mosaic law, and there's some ceremonial and civil law back then that we don't follow today. Got that. But the moral law back then even still stands, even though it's Old Testament. Did you know that? It does. So this is absolute truth, and we have to put it around our waist. Can't fight with your pants down. Breastplate of righteousness is the second one. Man, it's his righteousness that we put on. It's not our own righteousness. Again, it's not works. This righteousness gives the picture of being clothed in Christ. And this breastplate, what does a breastplate do? It protects what? Our vital organs. This is what's so vital. We need his righteousness because Satan wants to get at us and make us live unrighteous. Did you know that? He wants you and me to be unrighteous in our walk. Because then he can use us and attack us. And the only way we, could, we destroy that is through the righteousness of Christ and the Spirit of God moving in us so that we live by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's Galatians 5. It protects our vital organs. All right? Next one. Has to do with the Great Commission. Get you some Great Commission shoes. Get you some shoes put on, fitted with the gospel of peace. We're ready to take it out. Did you know that this is an offensive weapon? That he wants us to, to charge the enemy. So, did you see that what he said? He said that this is going to come against the gates of hell. What did he say? As I lost my pace. I got so excited flipping the Bible up, man. I lost my page. Man, this is good stuff. And to think that I started uh, really getting deep into this at 9 o'clock last night when I learned my brother was sick. Here we go. All right. So we take up this uh, above all else and, and taking the shield of faith before that. Come on, Brad, where you at? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because we're going to take this against the gates of hell, against our enemy. And when you think about it, you, the Bible refers to the gates of hell. The gates, it, it thinks of like a defensive thing to keep people out, Right. And so God wants us to charge against that. And this is with the, these shoes of the gospel of the Great Commission. How many of you, you guys maybe grew up in my day and age and back when the uh, Jordans were a big thing? When the Jordan shoes came out? And man, if you played basketball, you had to have some Jordans. You know what I'm saying? And I know some of y'all were Reebok fans and they had those pump things. And, you know, they didn't work either. But, you know, but you had to have the shoes because why? The shoes made you, you, you just played better. You could jump like Michael Jordan. You could do everything else. Hey, God wants to give us some shoes with his gospel to prepare us to go against an enemy and take the gospel to where it needs to be taken. Push back the darkness with the light. Then there's a shield of faith to deflect the arrows of the, any, of the evil one. Did you know that the enemy's shooting at you? Whether you like it or not, he's shooting arrows at you. And he's shooting arrows of doubt. He's shooting arrows of discouragement. He wants to take you out. He's shooting arrows of, of condemnation to make you think that you're no good and, and you're never going to amount to anything and God can't use you. That is not the message of the Bible. God's word is a healthy conviction of a loving heavenly father that, yes, steps on our toes and guides us back into the right path. But it's never a condemnation message. That's always from the enemy. That's an arrow he likes to shoot us with. The next one is the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation does what? What's the helmet do? Protects the head. Protects what's inside your head between your ears, most of us. A brain. It protects your mind. Where did we talk about so many times through this whole series? Where's the battle going to be won first? Talked about it last week. In our mind. In our mind. That's why we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
that that battle is won there first. And this helmet of salvation gives us the right aspect, protects our mind, our head in Christ so that we can move forward with the rest of it. So we got a shield of faith. We must trust and have faith to deflect the arrows. Helmet of salvation, protect our mind, our head, sword of the spirit. Another offensive weapon to fight the enemy. It's the sword of the spirit. What is that? Again, going back just to the word of God. This is your offensive weapon to come back against him. It's what Jesus used when the enemy come against him. Do you remember that? That he come against him back with the word of God, the correct word of God that wasn't out of context like Satan tried to use it for. And Jesus fought the enemy with the word. So the question is, is it in you? Is the word of God in you? Man, we need it so desperately. And the Lord's going to use it in our lives. Then the last thing that people don't look at as a part of the armor, but I think is so important and probably the most important piece, and that's prayer. Did you catch that? In verse 18, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer is a powerful weapon, guys. Do you know there was a time when, when the, even some of the disciples couldn't cast out a demon? Do you remember that? And they come back to Jesus and they're like, Lord, why couldn't I cast this demon out? Why couldn't I have victory over this? You know what he said? It wasn't, oh, you need to have a, a, a big event or you need to have this or this, that, and the other. No, what did he say? Some only come out by what? Prayer and fasting. So what's the most powerful weapon we can have against the enemy? Prayer and fasting. Did you get that? Make no mistake. That is the most powerful thing you can have. That's it. Prayer is effective. The ACTS type of prayer, the ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, specific supplication. Do you have a prayer of intercession? Do you intercede for your kids in prayer? Do you intercede for your family, for your marriage in prayer? Do you intercede for this church in prayer? Do you intercede for the community in prayer? That's our whole prayer about that whole 45 acres over there. We call it a land of intercession. And our prayer is that land intercedes on behalf of God for this community to bring other people to Jesus that won't go to church and all these big, beautiful churches around here. 400 and some churches. And most of the community is still not in church today. So how do we reach them? We've got to get outside the four walls, guys. Make no mistake. It's great to invite your unsaved friends to church, but the Bible teaches to make disciples in the church and send them out for evangelism. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we have to do. So to wrap it up and close, I want to read for you James 4, verses 7 through 10. How do we gain this victory? It's very, 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 very clear. How do we get this, this punk, the devil, to leave? Yeah, we got to grow up. We don't want to be immature. We don't want to be in isolation. We don't want to be injured. We got to heal all that. But even still, we got to put on this armor. And then how do we gain victory? How does, he, how does he leave? Let's read it. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God. Oh, resist the devil and he will free from you. I want to stop right there. When you hear this verse quoted, so many people just always say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is a partial truth. What was the first part? Submit to God. If I just resist the devil on my own, remember, we already talked about, I go one-on-one with him, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose. If I just resist the devil and never submit to God, I'm going to lose. I'm in a works-based faith. I'm trying harder. I'm trying harder. I'm trying harder. I'm trying not to drink. I'm trying not to do drugs. I'm trying not to have pornography issues. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm resisting. I'm resisting. But if I don't submit to God first, I am a defeated foe. 
Submit to God first. Have you submitted to God? That means surrendered all. You think about a person, when they surrender on the battlefield, they wave the white flag. What are they saying? Oh, well, I'm going to come to you, but I still want to do this, this, and this, and this the way I did. No. I'm coming and I'm surrendering all my authority, control, and everything over to you. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm yours. Have you done that to Jesus? That's salvation. When you come to him like that and be like, you are God, you are Lord, and you're my Lord. And I'm, I'm a sinner, and, 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 and I can't pay for this sin myself, and I trust in the work, in the finished work that you did on the cross to pay for my sin, and I'm coming under the authority of you and your word, and I want to be changed, renewed, and different. I surrender all. Have you done that? Submit to God. Then you can resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Please don't mess that up. Then it says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's the beautiful picture of humility, of repentance right there. Did you see that? With a continued heart of submission and surrender to Jesus. Humble yourselves. Man, don't make excuses for your sin. Don't, definitely don't gloat in your sin. Don't glorify sin. Don't be pride of your sin and proud of your sin. Be broken over it. And Lord, I need help. Forgive me because my flesh is weak and I want to be strong in your spirit. That's an attitude that we need to have of submitting and surrendering to God. Then he says, and then he'll lift you up. That's the truth of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. There's that denial again. For if a man wants to save his own life, he's going to lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will find it. You want to find what you're looking for, you're only going to find it in Jesus. It's not going to be in the things of this world. It's the only way to gain the victory. And the beautiful part is, it's already won. Jesus already hit the ball over the fence. I'm going to shift from football to baseball because in a baseball game, there's nothing more beautiful. You come down to the ninth inning, the bottom of the last inning, and, and, and the last team at bat, man, maybe you feel like you're about to lose. There's two outs, and the last batter's up, and it's down to maybe even the last strike. And, and you're down, and you're losing, and then in one swing, bam, and the ball goes over the fence, and the victory's won. Guys, that's what Jesus did on the cross. When he rose from the grave, he hit and he died for our sin and he come out of the grave, he just hit the ball over the fence and the victory's won. But in a baseball game, those of you who watch baseball or softball, what still has to happen for the game to be finished? Gotta run the bases, baby. Jesus has hit the ball over the fence. And now he wants to his Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, run the bases. Except now Ephesians 6, there's going to be a little different than a baseball game. You ain't going to get a free pass around the bases. The first baseman is going to try to elbow you. The, the second baseman is going to try to trip you. The, the, the shortstop is going to punch you in the face. And the third baseman is going to tackle you and keep you from going across home plate. I might watch more baseball if that was the way that was. <laughs> But guys, that's what we have. Jesus has already hit the home run. The victory's won. And he wants us to run the bases, but there's going to be a battle. There's going to be resistance. But the victory's there, and his promise is you will come home if you're in Christ. So are you in Christ? And can we stand? Can we all say today, from now, just, I see you, devil. I see you, enemy. I've read your scouting report. I see you want me to be 
immature. I'm not going to be immature anymore. I'm going to grow up in Christ. Right now today, I'm going to start with every way I can. I'm going to be hungry for God's word, and I'm going to grow up in Jesus. I'm going to surrender more. I'm going to surrender to his authority, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to leave, I'm going to be living by the Spirit and not by my flesh anymore. I'm going to strike a blow to my body, Paul said, so that I'm not disqualified. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grow up in Christ. I see you, enemy. You want me immature? I'm not going to be immature anymore. I see you, enemy. You want me to be in isolation. I'm not going to be in isolation anymore. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be in church every single Sunday. And we're going to get plugged in. And I'm going to be a part of the body. And I'm not doing life on my own. I'm not going to do life in isolation. I'm going to be a part of the herd so that we can stomp that enemy when he comes. And I can see you, enemy, and you want me to be injured, and I'm not going to be injured anymore. Yes, I'm hurt, and I need some healing to be done, and I'm going to run to the Father, and I'm going to run to Jesus and his word, and I'm going to get plugged in in the body, and I'm going to get me some healing done because I'm not going to bleed over people that didn't cut me, and I'm not going to let the enemy use me to destroy what God wants to do in other people's lives and in my life because I'm going to get healed. Can we say that? Ultimately, it comes down, I will stand. And be strong in the Lord. I will take a position of commitment and not a position of comfort in my faith any longer. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. If that's you, let's make a stand today. If you've never done that for the first time, I want you right now to wholeheartedly surrender your all to Jesus. I want you to put up the white flag and be like, Lord, I surrender. I'm done trying to do life on my own. I'm trying to done, done trying to do life my own way. I'm done trying to do life to please other people and please this culture. I want to do it your way, and I surrender all to you right now. If you need to do that for the first time, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. I want you to pray and do business from your heart to God's heart right now. And mean business with him. Or if you're here and you might say, Brad, I've done that previously in life, but lately I've drifted. I've walked away, man. Life's hard and, man, it's just been tough and I've drifted away. And I'm, I, there was once a time where I committed my life to Christ and, man, I know the Lord was using me. I was on fire for him. But lately, man, I've drifted away and that fire's gone out and I want to light that fire again. I want to come running back to Jesus like the prodigal son. If that's you, I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart and do business with him. To receive him for the first time or to rededicate your life just boldly and unashamed right now. Just say, dear Lord. I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. I humble myself before you and I surrender all. I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. I want to be strong in you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the spotless lamb, God in the flesh, to die on that cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed that I could be forgiven. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God and he stands in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And I want to be part of the winning team today. And I choose right now to stand and to run the bases in the victory that you've already prepared for me. And Lord, I ask you to help me because I know this this walk isn't going to be easy. There's going to be some resistance ahead. Help me, Father, to stand. Give me the strength in you to stand. Allow me to put on the full armor of God. Allow me to no longer to remain immature spiritually. Allow me to no longer be in isolation or to be injured. But Lord, help me, heal me, strengthen me, protect me as I submit to you so that I can resist the enemy and he can flee. Right now, Lord, because I need that in my life and my family needs it. And Lord, my commitment to you is from this point forward, the rest of my life, I live for you.
thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye still closed, you did business with God right now for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him right now, no one looking around, would you boldly and unashamed raise your hand? Say, Brad, I've made a decision for Jesus today, and I want you to pray for me. You can raise it. If I don't see it, God does, and that's more important. Amen. Guys, today we're going to end our service like we do every single week here at Impact. And I'm just going to ask you, whatever the Lord's doing in your heart right now, would you put action with your feet to it, whatever that is. Maybe you made a decision for Jesus. Man, just come. Man, just, just fall on your knees and just do business with the Lord. Or maybe there's something else that you need prayer over, a lost loved one or a health report or a financial situation or a struggle that you're having in life. There'll be pastors up here. We can talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you need to come forward and talk about joining the church, getting plugged in, whatever it looks like. Let's stand to our feet right now. Let's sing with all our heart, with all our voice, and let's come as the Lord leads. Every creature finds its inmost melody, and every human heart its native cry. Oh, then in one enraptured
strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my soul will be the same. church can we give Jesus a big round of applause that only he deserves after his word and let's take this this week and let's go make that impact for Jesus we say every week amen so let's go let's not be spiritually immature let's not be in isolation and let's not stay injured that enemy wants to attack and God wants to give us the victory so put on the armor and let's go make an impact for Jesus we'll see you next Sunday we're starting a new sermon series for such a time as this through the book of Esther Thank you, guys. Y'all can pick up chairs. Just don't pick up any cords today. The tech team needs to run some uh, um, kind of test and fix some things. So leave the cords today, but you can't pick up the chairs. Thank you. Treasures of faith. I never